It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? We are back. Episode 14, we believe, of Behind the Glass. It is Mikey McNuggets, Earl DePearl, Anthony Antonelli coming at you from the Dirty P in Parma. What is up, guys? <laughs> what up, bud? How you doing? Long time no see. Earl, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. We had a great show today. I'm um, going to back it up with a, with a solid podcast tonight, so I'm good. 14 episodes in. That's crazy. Yeah, Wednesdays have become a uh, UCSS content factory between the regular show, the barbershop, and then this. It is nonstop. Uh, if there's breaking news throughout the day, we have a chance to comment on it. And what's up, Cody Clark? How you doing, boss? Uh, we're going to give everyone a few minutes to chime in here. Just a little bit of a rundown of what's to come. Damian Lillard was traded from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference into the Cavs division. He was shipped to Milwaukee to team up with Giannis Antetokounmpo. What does that mean for the Cavs for the upcoming season? Well, we'll dive into that. Plus a little Lamar Jackson versus Browns defense, Ravens, Browns overall preview, and then a few behind-the-scenes stories to wrap it up here. But before we do that, guys, I want to ask you a question. Where were you when you got the text about Dame Lillard? I was uh, sitting outside my daughter's school. So you were yeah, I was, for your daughter, and where were you? I think we were on our meeting, and I was eating lunch just at my kitchen table. It came after the meeting, but that is one of those moments in, in basketball lure where you go back and you're like, I, I can't remember exa- that exactly what I was doing when that trade happened because it was so out of the blue from what we had heard leading up to it. He said only Miami, but uh, Dame got shipped. To the Bucks, we'll break that down in three minutes. Uh, real quick, Earl, Leroy was on today. Hmm. One of the best interviews we've had in a long – Leroy's been on fire this year. Hey, Leroy been cooking, boy. What do you, you think, real quick, of his comments on Nick Chubb and, and Mikey Fitzpatrick? I think he meant that. Like, I, I think he really feel that way 100%. You know, he said to go low in that situation was a coward move. And, I mean – it's in the eye of the beholder. I really don't think it was a dirty play personally. I don't think he would he did it intentionally. Like you, you know, I'd have talked to a couple people that played in the league, somebody currently playing in the league, and, and all the feedback I got was they didn't think it was a dirty play, and Mika Fitzpatrick is not that type of player. So, you know, I, I think it was just an unfortunate situation. I think the energy that's being put forth is being being put forth because it was Nick Chubb that, w- that was on the receiving end of it, you know, and that's that's unfortunate, but you know, Leroy has some strong comments, man, some strong comments, and that's a strong opinion. But, you know, we all got one of those. So who can I – who am I to tell that man not to look at it the way he do? So, Yeah, he, I mean, he played running back in the NFL. You and I and Anthony, we have not. So if right. he feels that way, he's coming from a place of experience as opposed to 
what we saw. And we also had uh, Jerry Ferrara on the show on Tuesday. And you have not seen Entourage or Power. No, After I haven't. Meeting not. him, which one are you more likely to start watching? Uh, Entourage has actually been on my list for a long time, and I've never gotten around to it. So probably that. I don't hurt me, Earl. I know you like Power. I Power is also on my list, though. I see clips of Tommy on my TikTok all the time. Like very yeah. excited to see that show. You gotta watch Power, man. I told yeah, no, the same I, thing. I have my homework for this weekend. Uh, I gotta watch uh, Think Like a Man. That is my yes. that's my weekend homework. Yeah, yeah. If you guys haven't Look. seen Think Like a Man. That that is one of turtle's best movies and overall just a really Stop funny calling movie. turtle man that's proctor man <laughs> I, I, I don't know miss proctor like, I, don't I, know Ms. Proctor. I, I gotta watch stars have you uh, seen listen, wait we had we uh we had it together we were we had a uh, we had a thing and it said most people knew him from entourage so i'm sorry Earl. our chat know. knows him from entourage i don't know he said recency bias like he did say like he could be on one side of the street and they call him a turtle. He could be on the other side and they call him a proctor. Let me tell you how dope his interview was, though. We have we didn't have some actors, actresses, you know, other celebrities on outside of the sports realm before. And um, their individual clips, honestly speaking, usually don't do that well. Man, Jerry did 2.2 and counting. Yeah. Like, yeah. like he, he, he he's really that dude, man. It was. um. It was a very fun interview, man. He fit in really seamlessly, cool. too, which was the best part. When we have guys yeah. come in, especially in studio, you can tell if they kind of fit in with the gang or if they don't. And almost immediately before he even sat down, it was pretty obvious Jerry was uh, was one of the guys. All right, but it is past five minutes, which means it's time to dive into the topics at hand here. Anthony Earl, we all got the news earlier today. The Milwaukee Bucks have acquired Damian Lillard from the Portland Trailblazers as part of a three-team deal. The Bucks sent Drew Holiday – a guy I've never heard of in my entire life, a 2029 first round pick and two first round pick swaps to Portland as part of a three team trade. The Blazers also got DeAndre Ayton from the Phoenix Suns in exchange for your uh Nursif Yurkic. I can't I never say his name right. It's J-U-R-K-I-C. Let me let me just pronounce it properly. Uh they got yeah, Yusuf Nurkic back. Nurkic, excuse me. They also got Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson. So they get rid of Aiton, they get Nurkic back on top of a couple depth pieces. The Blazers are now reportedly looking to ship Drew Holiday to another contender, so they're looking to flip and get even more building blocks to put around Scoot Henderson and company. Earl, let's start with Milwaukee, though. And I'll ask this question, and we'll get big picture. Is Dame and Giannis the best one-two punch in the NBA right now? I don't know. I just know that's scary as hell. First thing I said when I seen it was like, damn, man. Like, for real? Like, every team in the East, fight back. Do something. <laughs> I mean, that, that puts you in a situation to where you got to do something. I mean, we haven't seen it yet. Hard to say if it's the best, you know, even if you put it on paper. But I just know it's scary as hell. You know, we know what Dame is, man. He's a killer. He's a closer. He's somebody that can go out there and drop 70 on his own. You know, Giannis is a is a league MVP, two-time league MVP, NBA champion in his own right, man, and and a guy that is a transcendent player. You know, Giannis is one of the best players in the world right now. And just looking at that combination, and you still was able to keep a guy like Chris Middleton on that team, it's about to be scary hours in Milwaukee. You know what I mean? Like that instantly, that instantly puts them on a level to where you can possibly go p- compete for the Denver with the Denver Nuggets, right? Because if you look at how that team is built, 
you know, with that combination, that duo front court back court combination, this is kind of similar, you know, in, in a way, so to speak. Yeah. So like, it'd be interesting to see how the nucleus gel, you know, how the chemistry comes together over time, but like they damn sure to be taken serious and, and they are a legit, they a legit threat. I mean, right now on paper, they, they, the favorites come out the East, probably the favorites to go play in the finals against the Nuggets. Who knows? So, and, what did you yeah. think of the Giannis Dame combo here? I mean, I was worried about him going and teaming up with Butler. I knew that was going to make the East real, real tough down there in Miami. And I know, Mike, you have your theories that it could still happen. But pairing him up with Giannis, I, I can't add any more that Earl hasn't. That is the East Coast Denver Nuggets right there with the front court, back court. That's that's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little different than Jokic Murray because even as good as Giannis is, and he's a top two player in the world, they don't really run offense through him. Giannis still doesn't have like the offensive bag that somebody like Jokic does as a playmaker, a passer. He's kind of just a physical specimen that is impossible to stop when he puts his head down and gets the basket. On the flip side, I don't think people realize how good of a basketball player Dame Lillard is. And I mean that from just the talent and skill that Dame Lillard has. Dame Lillard is barely 6'3". Uh-huh. He is not a super athlete. Like he's a very athletic guy. Don't get me wrong, but he's not like one of the guys with a 50 inch vertical. He's not the fastest dude in the league. He is so skilled. He's such a good shooter. His craftsmanship as a point guard and as a scorer from the backcourt is up there with some of the best players who have ever walked the face of the earth. This dude has averaged 30 points a game multiple times in his career as an undersized point guard on a bad team. Granted scoring's up across the league. It's not just Portland. But this dude is so good. And what I think is the scariest about the duo, and then we'll talk big picture in a sec, what makes the specific Giannis-Lillard duo so dangerous is they don't overlap whatsoever. Like Giannis isn't going to sacrifice threes so Dame can shoot. Mm -hmm. And the more shots Dame takes, that means more offensive rebounding opportunities for Giannis, and that's where he's most dangerous. In the fast break, Giannis gets a rebound. He can push it up. Well, Drew Holiday's a good player, but he ain't the damn near shooter that Dame Lillard is. Dame's going right to the corner. That's going to be open threes galore in transition. And their skill sets complement each other very well. Imagine trying to stop a pick and roll between Giannis and Dame. Are you going to sag under and make sure Giannis doesn't have a lob angle? Well, Dame's going to stop, shoot a three, and he's a 40% three-point shooter, one of the best the league has ever seen. Are you going to chase and leave an open driving lane or an open rolling lane for Giannis? Well, Lillard's fine dumping it off, and Giannis is going to dunk on your head. That, to me is a duo that complements each other almost perfectly offensively. Defensively, Lillard doesn't do much. Giannis can erase anything, so he kind of makes up for it. But I can't think of a one-two duo outside of a truly healthy LeBron and Anthony Davis that rivals those two. I can't. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough to match that throughout the league, you know, especially in the Eastern Conference, because like you said, you know, coming off that pick and roll, you know, it's, it's scary time. You know, it's kind of like one of those situations to where you got to pick your poison, you know, because if, if Dame is, is on and he's hot that night, that's the last person you want to leave walking on that team. But, you know, just to add on to what you said, you have those other intangibles that, you know, that I always talk about that don't show up in the, in the, in the, in the box score. When you talk about Dame, right, he's not the most athletic, but he's he, he's very well skilled. But, you know, he got this thing of of confidence plus heart plus work ethic. Right. And you look at Giannis, right? Giannis is another guy with a high work ethic. 
And so you having two guys like that on the same team that's like-minded, I talk a lot about chemistry. I talk about those things that's going to get that team through the growing pains. And then when it's time for the playoffs, those few moments to where you kind of got to like gut it out and make something happen. And like bringing that type of chemistry to the locker room and that type of energy is infectious, right? And so you put that with some other skilled guys that's already on that team. It was able to keep a lot of their depth. And we know like going through the playoffs, man, those pieces that you got on the bench do matter. It's not just about the star players on that team. So, you know, it's, it's a man. East East just got a whole lot tougher. I cannot believe Dame is in the East. I know. And and the The thing with Milwaukee the last few years is they couldn't score late in games when they needed a bucket. Like they couldn't. That that was their Achilles heel this playoffs, their Achilles heel last playoffs. Teams would put five guys in the paint, say, Giannis, you have to make a jump shot. And in crunch time, they didn't have a guy they can go to and say, Hey, you're getting a one-on-one opportunity. Go score. That is what Dame does best. That is literally his best asset. And to me, that is where he is more important to Milwaukee than he may have been to Miami or any other teams who are looking to court his uh, his services because he is an absolute killer. I, I go back to the shot he hit against Oklahoma City when he was in Portland in the playoffs, pulling up from 41 feet for the game and waving bye-bye to Paul George as Paul George left OKC and made his way to L.A. Like, he is a fourth-quarter closer, and as good as Giannis is, and he's, in my opinion, the second-best player in the world right now, he doesn't have the offensive killer mentality to close out games. That's exactly where Lillard compliments him. And that makes the Bucks really, really scary. So, Earl. Oh, Who first? Time out before we go anywhere. Who first? Just curious. Who's first? Jokic is the best player in the world. Like right now? It's undisputable. Jokic is the best player in the world right now. I'm not going there with y'all, man. But Jokic, it's not even you, – you can't make an argument for anyone else. Should I go yes, you can. No, yes, you can. Who? Last time I checked, LeBron James still playing the NBA. Yeah, LeBron last time James I checked. Got by Jokic. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Earl, I don't know if you can make that argument at this point in his hey, listen, career. Listen, 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 listen. You could base that – listen, as, as long, in my opinion, as long as LeBron James still lacing him up, like, when man, LeBron James is the best player in the world. I don't, I don't care what nobody say. Like, you could, you could put all that other stuff out there, man. LeBron, 38, 39 years old, still doing what, he high, at, what he's doing at a high level and been doing it way longer than Giannis and, and, and Joker combined. So – I ain't, man. Listen. If this is the best resume, yeah, LeBron's got the huh? best resume. But right now, Jokic is the best player in the world. And I don't – we can talk about it on the show. I mean, we can, say, uh, we can say see, right now based off of – right I see G in the chat. G, who are you giving the nod to? Yes, yeah, we'll I'm, I'm with Mike on this one. Let's uh, let's look big picture though, Earl, real quick. Okay, let's do it. Before today, before this move, how close did you think the Cavs were to the Bucks? Were they ahead of the Bucks? Were they in the same line as the Bucks? Were they slightly below? Were they way below? Were they way ahead? Where before this move did you think Milwaukee and Cleveland stacked up against each other? I mean, before this move, I thought they was pretty much on the same playing field. You know, I thought they was pretty much the same team, a team that you got a lot of potential, got some star power to it, but has proven that you just don't know when 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 those crunch time situations is. So, like to me, I, I thought like they were the same, but you know, we could talk all day at nauseam about how this move might impact the Cavs. At the end of the day, the Cavs impact the Cavs. You know, this move impacts the Eastern Conference overall. But, you know, if the Cavs don't handle their business and if, they, if their nucleus ain't coming together, 
I think that that's the thing that we got to worry about now. I guess when I've looked at this trade, the initial emotion to this trade is uh like everybody else is like, damn, like, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks is about to be on another level. But when you really sit back, Mike, and just unpack the whole situation, like, you know, usually when you get a player like Damian Lillard, you got to give up a lot, you know. And I've seen this a lot throughout with other teams in the league that you give up a lot of these role players, a lot of these depth pieces, and it all it end up ultimately hurting you, you know, come playoff time. And so I guess I, I want to see it. I want to see how that situation yeah. play out. But as far as the cast, man, you know, this this definitely this move puts Milwaukee ahead. But the Cavaliers is truly dependent on Evan Mobley to take that next step. We've yeah. said it over and over and over again. Evan Mobley has to develop to be in that unicorn player and that best player on this Cavaliers team for this team to be legit title contenders. For as good as Donovan Mitchell is, for as good as Darius Garland is, in my opinion, the Cavs' current style of play with that particular backcourt is not going to get the job done. And I think we will feel more confident about the Cavs' chances when it relates to how they match up to the Milwaukee Bucks if we knew for a fact that Evan Mobley was about to become that tier one elite player that everybody believes his potential is. And so, you know, until we see that in Cleveland, along with what else we got, it'd be hard to say, honestly, to say how we measure up. You know, I know we all talked on uh, uh, earlier today, but it's year three. And Mike, you say, you know, by year three, man, you are who you are in this league. And so for me, you know, personally, I, I, I really hope this is the year that Evan Mobley kind of like skyrocket to that next level. And yeah. then I can look at my team when I see Milwaukee make a trade like this and not even really be worried about where the cast position in the Eastern Conference will end up. We'll talk Mobley in one sec, but Ant, same question I asked Earl. Before this trade, where do you think Cleveland and Milwaukee stacked up against each other? And after this trade, how do you look at those two teams? I think Milwaukee was already above us because they had made it there before. And when they're a healthy team, they were very dominant. This obviously puts them, I think, two steps ahead of the Cavs, where before they were probably one step ahead of the Cavs. They were my biggest fear in the Eastern Conference. Before this, they're still my biggest fear now. It's actually, maybe I'm in the minority. I actually thought the Cavs had surpassed Milwaukee before this trade. I actually thought with the additions of Struess and Bates and just the aggregate age and minutes of how many playoff games guys like Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, their bodies have all started to break down. They have a brand new head coach. Budenholzer was a savant in the regular season, a terrible coach in the postseason. I, I actually thought the Cavs with their moves had slightly crept past Milwaukee and would have been a significant step past Milwaukee if I didn't think Giannis was by far the best player out of anyone on these two teams. But after this trade, I do have to reevaluate. And I'll save my, is Dame actually going to play in, Port, in uh, Milwaukee theory for, for a second. Let me just stick on this with these two teams right now. This puts the pressure on the Cavs. And Earl, we talk about with the Browns, like, we're all in. Like, this is the season that they have to go and make a move because there's no guarantee that Donovan Mitchell is going to stick around mm-hmm. after this season. And if he doesn't resign, will they look to trade him? Yada, 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 yada. The East was wide open, in my opinion. It was. Philly had taken a step back. I don't love Boston. I think they're an overrated team in the grand scheme of how they have constructed this roster. I don't love the Chris Porzingis move. You're, you're banging on a guy now 
who's seven foot three and hasn't been healthy in five of the last six seasons to now stay healthy. You trade mm-hmm. away Marcus Smart, the heart and soul of your team, and you're supposed to get better. Not buying. I thought the East was wide open, and the Cavs actually brought back the most pieces of their core and added smart pieces. So I was high on them. But when you put Dame Lillard and Giannis on the same team, I think it almost evens itself out. I think the Cavs have much better depth. I think the Cavs defensively actually have a chance to be better than they were last year, assuming Evan Mobley takes that step like we all hope he can, Earl. I told you guys on the phone earlier, by year three, you kind of know who a player is and and what they aren't. We'll know if Evan Mobley has an offensive game or not. Because very rarely, and you can go back, and we go example by example, has a guy who comes in the league young, has two and a half full seasons and off seasons to get integrated to an NBA system, a, a locker room, a weight room. By year three, if, if he hasn't shown that, the reality is he's probably the player he is right now, which is still a fine player, but that's not a franchise centerpiece like we thought he could be. So I do think it comes down to uh, between Milwaukee and the Cavs, A, who's going to be more healthy, especially Milwaukee, because their guys are old. They don't have any guards now to guard Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell. Dave Miller plays zero defense. And then B, is Mobley going to be the Giannis stopper we thought he could be? Like those to me are two bigger questions than anything on the Milwaukee side of how they play together, Dame, Giannis, et cetera. All right, so you said this put pressure on the Cavs. And I, I don't that's I don't disagree with that, but Mike, like what what can the Cavs really do? Like what resources do they have? Like what, what pieces can you really move? Because in my mind, you know. I ain't going to say nothing can't be done. I can think of a few things and you more familiar with how, you know, the money have to add up in the NBA and the packages have to add up like that. But, you know, if you can, you got a few pieces that you can move. If you, yeah. if you truly wanted to, to kind of like, okay, That's make a point. significant upgrade, you know, you, you do have a few pieces that you can move. Will it piss some of the fans off? Of course. Yep. But you ain't really trying to like, you know, secure somebody's emotions, man. You're trying to, you're trying to secure a championship. And at the end of the day that you, you got, you might have to make moves that might not make sense to the fans at that time, but make sense when you're trying to build this team with the mindset of keeping Donovan Mitchell for the long term. And with the, if like, if you still believe that Evan Mobley four or five seasons from now is going to be your best player, is going to be your superstar, then you need to look at certain pieces on this roster and say, okay, I can possibly do without this. I can get something of nice value for this. And if I can get another player that's in this same 10 to 15 ranking with this guy, then maybe it make more sense for me to go this route. And so, like, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. You know, maybe maybe the pressure is on. The Cavs do have more depth, man. But, you know, I'm still – last year playoffs, man, it it just caused some – it caused some room for me to kind of, like, pump the brakes on a few things with a few players. And so, like, me saying that, it's like, I really don't know about some things after what I saw. That's why I think the pressure's on, because the Eastern Conference is still wide open. Like, Miami, we know they're not going to really try in the regular season. There'll be an issue in the playoffs. You have a bunch of teams who have a lot of question marks. The Cavs, if you look on paper, Mm -hmm. the Cavs actually have more certainty, one through seven, than any other team in the Eastern Conference. And if you go in and you're at the midway point of the season – and you're looking around and you're like, offensively, I just don't think we could hang in the postseason with some of these teams when it comes down to real legitimate shot making. I don't care if you can score in the regular season. That's irrelevant when it comes postseason time. Case in point, 
the Cavs' next playoff series last year. When defenses have seven games to focus in, lock in on what you do, it comes down to individual guys who can make shots. If the Cavs look at their roster and say, two bigs may not be the way to play. We need more shooting in certain areas. We're not big, fast, or strong enough to handle Giannis and Brooke Lopez in the paint. Or, I hope I never say this again, but Isaiah Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson. <laughs> like, they do have a couple pieces that salary-wise could be moved. That's all I'm saying. So the pressure's on now for Kobe and the rest of the staff because this is a, I don't want to say a one-year project, but if you're keeping Donovan Mitchell, you have to show him you're all in so he has the intention to resign. That's what I mean there's pressure. And now that Dame's in the conference, everyone else has to step their shit up. I mean, that's fact because, I mean, everybody trying to get to the NBA, everybody trying to get to the NBA finals. As you alluded to, before this trade, a lot of people probably thought that the East was wide open. And it don't look like that door is as open as it was 24 hours ago. So with that being the case, you know, it's teams like the Cavaliers that's looking like, okay, what do I need to do? A team like Boston is probably thinking the same thing that we're thinking. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, you know what I mean? Because they, they're another team that have a certain nucleus that it works until it don't when it matter. And for me, what I've seen with the Cavaliers is they had a certain nucleus that worked until it didn't. And when it didn't, it really mattered the most. And, you know, you go out there and the, the priority was to go add shooting. And you added shooting at the point guard position, at the forward position, and at the two guard position. Kobe Altman did a great job at doing yeah. that. And so if if you trust what you've what you've drafted, what you've brought in as far as undrafted free agents, if you trust your your your, your development system and based on what you've seen in other areas of this team, then yeah, maybe you can make a few moves again that will piss people off, but will make more sense in the grand scheme of things because I can't see even with the shooters that we added, it's certain pieces on this roster that I can care less what they do in the regular season. I can't I can't get this feeling out of my soul until I see these particular people like play in the playoffs. And that's just me keeping yeah. it real. Like and if I know I can get guys out there that's a better fit, might not have the same name or the same star power, but that's a better fit, then I'm all for it, man. Because the goal is to try to win a championship. And anybody in Cleveland who think differently, then shame on you because we know how it is to be champions. Right. And so settling for just getting to the dance, that ain't going to never be good enough in the city. We got a question from G Bush here. Uh, I'll skip the first part. He said, what's really the difference between Dame and Mitchell at this point? Mitchell might be better than Dame. He might be. He might not be. Uh, I think they're pretty similar. The difference is Milwaukee has Giannis and the Cavs don't have anyone like Giannis. At least that's how I look at it. I, I don't think there's a big gap between Dame and Mitchell. I think Dame's better than Mitchell but it's not by a significant margin. They're both elite, elite shot creators, shot makers from a uh, undersized guard position. Neither plays any defense whatsoever. Mitchell, in theory, could play defense. He just chooses not to. Dame is old and, and has told people he's just not going to play defense. I mean, he's literally said, he's like, I'm not playing defense on a bad team. So I mean, maybe he'll I'm, buy back in, but. Fair. Hey, G, um, bro, G, bro, I would just say this, and before you go real quick, I mean, there's not much difference between the two. I think the difference in the situation is – uh, Donovan Mitchell is the best player on his team. Damian Lillard is yeah. not, and yeah. that's going to cause the cast problems. Yeah, it's like it's like if you think they're pretty similar, like, do you guys all agree that they're right on yeah. the same line? It's just a personal. Yeah. If you like a guy who's a little more athletic, a little more slasher, and you told me you wanted Mitchell, I'd say sure. 
Like, I'm not going to argue. If you told me you like Dame just because of his uh, extended range and three-point shooting ability, cool. I, I think you can make the case for either one. Yeah. But if your best player is as good as another team's second best player, that's where it comes into a little bit of uh, you know a, a talent issue. But I think the, the Cavs' depth is significantly better than Milwaukee's. So you have top-end talent versus depth in a playoff series. It usually comes down to stars, but you got to make it to the playoffs in one piece, and that's where the depth comes into play. You can't overplay guys and expect them to be healthy, rested, and ready to rock in the postseason. Uh, real quick, I'm going to throw you guys a theory, then we'll talk Browns-Ravens here in a sec. But when I first saw this trade, my initial thought was, Milwaukee's going to flip him to Miami, and Dame's going to end up being a member of the Miami Heat with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I thought that because, A, he had said, it's Miami or nothing. I only want to play in Miami. And, B, Portland had said from the get-go, we don't want our hero. We don't want any guards. We need forwards. We need picks. We, we don't. We have enough young guards already. Do you guys know where Tyler Hero grew up? Milwaukee. You've told me four times today. So Grew up in Milwaukee. Do you know what Milwaukee doesn't have any of? What? Young talent and draft picks. Do you know what, in theory, you would get in return for a player like Dame Lillard from Miami? Young players and draft picks, I suppose. Yeah, and and a guy from your hometown who at least could be the quote-unquote face of your franchise if you you lose Giannis next season. So I think it's going to come down. uh, Is there any chance that could happen? Do you see any chance of them flipping Dame, or do you think it is Dame and Giannis? For 2023, 2024 here in Milwaukee. Mike, oh, you crazy. You crazy. <laughs> that ain't happening, man. That ain't going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. That I, ain't going nowhere. I think unless unless he absolutely refuses to play for some reason or another, I, I don't see it happening. I think Milwaukee right. sent what they sent to have him there and to get one more championship before they lose Giannis. Listen, I agree, and this is – He took the words right out of my mouth. That too, yeah. That. Well, the, the thing is, if Dame says I'm not going to – and I told you all on this call before. If Dame says I'm not playing here, it's Miami or nothing, then in theory the Bucks flip Drew Holiday for Hero, Jovic, two what? or three first-round picks. What did I, so I mean, that's that's the best case scenario. This only happen if Dame says I'm not playing in Miami. What did I tell you a couple I mean, months ago? I'm not playing in Milwaukee, excuse what me. What did I tell you a couple months ago? I told you, I said Dame can say whatever the hell he want to say. At the end of the day, Dame don't call no shots. Dame yeah. don't make that final decision. You know, Dame should be thankful that you still ended up in a situation that honestly, one, is better than the situation that you're currently in, and two, that you got the opportunity to go compete for an NBA championship. So, yeah, it might not be Miami. It might not be with the guys that you wanted it to be with. But somehow, some way, man, the good Lord landed you in the spot with a player that's better than you and you can uh, help Better assist him and his team go win a championship. So, like, to me, like, it ain't never been about what Dame won. You know, like, it, Dame got to remember, people sign his checks. It ain't, it ain't the other way around. So In the NBA, that's never stopped people from demanding where they go. Yeah, yeah but unless you're LeBron say. James, unless, unless you, like, one of those dudes, Dame ain't on no level to call those type of shots. It's a very few. I can think of less than three players on that level that I'm can call, that to, call those hey, type of shots. We had the whole argument on one of the first behind the glasses, whether or not it was right for Dave to do what he did. So I, I, I'm with you. I'm just yeah. saying there's a chance because he has said publicly time and time again, it's Miami or nothing. I've seen this too today. If that's the case, then maybe Milwaukee did this with the intention of flip him to Miami and take the assets back that Portland clearly didn't want from the Heat. 
I mean, no, I, his tweet today say "Go Bucks." I mean, he was, was excited for say, this next chapter. So. I think he. I think Milwaukee's all in for one more championship before they lose Giannis. Maybe they just want one more before it goes into a full rebuild. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It should be fun. Hey, if you have any behind-the-scenes questions for the UCSS game, we got one in the YouTube community poll this morning. Uh, we'll answer those at the end after we talk a little Ravens-Browns here. Earl, we mentioned it this morning. We uh, we were talking about what it would take for us to fully buy into the Browns and whether or not either, A, you're currently all in. This team is legit, legit. Zero questions in my mind. B, if they beat Baltimore on Sunday, then I'm all in. Or C, I want to wait till the 49ers game to make my full decision on how I feel about this team for the rest of the season. Where do you fall heading into this Sunday's game with Baltimore on the scale of how bought into you, how bought into the Browns are you already? Uh, I think if they can beat Baltimore, which when we were originally going through the games and picking wins and losses, I had them beating Baltimore. If the offense can perform against a, arguably a really good defense going and then two weeks to prepare for the 49ers defense as well, I will take a win to Baltimore and a loss to the 49ers and still be all bought in. I don't know if I will take a loss to both. So they they have to win one of the two. I think they're going to win Baltimore, and if they if they win both of them, I mean, obviously you got to be fully bought in at that point. But I think if they can come in and the defense can shut down Lamar Jackson this weekend, and the offense can get clicking on all cylinders against this defense, I don't I don't know what many more questions we're going to have to ask next ask next week as we go into the bye week. I mean, for me, I'm all the way bought in right now. I can't go off of what I said. I said this in July. I believe the Browns is going to play in the AFC Championship. Who they're going to play, I don't know. It might sound silly to some people on certain weeks. It might look legit to other people on other weeks. Personally, that's where I am. That's where I stand. The defense has proven to me to be a Super Bowl caliber defense. I know I said that during the Monday night game. A lot of people kind of came at me like I was tripping. But And you can, only, you can say it's only three games, but I've told you, you know, I can only go off the information that I've been given both with my eyes and just – you know, word of mouth from OTAs into now. And that defense plays with a certain intensity, with a certain swagger, with a certain attitude, with a certain just everything led by Jim Schwartz that I just believe it's a Super Bowl caliber defense. And throughout three games, it's been a historic defense, you know, throughout the NFL's history. And so, of course, it's not going to, you know, be this bizarre and this out of the world all season long, but I definitely believe that they can maintain what they've built on that side of the ball. And we know defense travels. I mean, as far as the offense goes, I agree with what Leroy said earlier. I thought last Sunday was the first game that Deshaun Watson looked absolutely comfortable uh, playing a quarterback position for the Cleveland Browns. It's almost like something clicked. You know, then I go back to what Mary Kay said yesterday that sometimes she believes that we're doing Deshaun Watson and Kevin Stefanski for that matter, a disservice for trying to combine his six games last year with the three games that he's played this year, understanding that he stepped into a situation last year where the offense was really tailored for the quarterback that was starting for the first 11 games. And yeah, you changed some things, but a lot of the things changed to say, uh, stay the same. We both know that you can't just alter an entire offense, you know, that late into the season. And so Deshaun Watson can maintain that level of play that he put on display uh, last Sunday, you know, we'll see. 
Um, I think this matchup is fun. I think this matchup is exciting. I'm looking forward to the challenge. The Browns defense has not seen a quarterback with Lamar Jackson style of play yet. And we all know that Lamar Jackson is 4-0 in games that he started and yeah. finished in the Kevin Stefanski era. So regardless of the outcome of this game or the game against San Francisco, I got to stand on business with what I said. I think the Browns are going to play in the AFC Championship. Like I can't just I, I'm on a I'm I'm all in, no matter what, no matter how ugly or how good it look week to week. That's just me. You know when you go in a pool and it's cold, like you know it's June third. It hasn't been that hot in Cleveland, and it's uh, uh the pool's like seventy two degrees, and you got to kind of slow your way in and let your body adjust before you can dive in. Yeah, I am. All in on this defense. Zero questions on this defense. Offensively, I can't be fully submerged in the Kool-Aid until I see it one more time. I need two performances. We saw two subpar offensive performances to start the season. We saw a very good offensive performance against Tennessee. I need another one before I can be fully submerged in the offensive Kool-Aid here. So in the scale of the three ranks I gave, I still need to see them perform well against Baltimore before I'm like, this team is as good as I really think they can be. But I'm confident in this. If the defense plays as well as it has through three games, and obviously not at the historic rate, they're going to give up a touchdown. It's going to happen. Guys, real quick. They're going to give up more than one touchdown the rest of the season. I, I'm Breaking telling news. you it's going to happen. Are you sure? Just, I news. thought you were bought in. <laughs> just be, they might give up two in one game. Like It might happen. I'm, I'm just giving you a fair warning now. The world is not ending, and as long as that defense is as good as it should be and they stay healthy, there's no reason that regardless of how the offense plays, they shouldn't be in every game. Like I go back to that Pittsburgh game, and it still baffles me how they lost Pittsburgh. There, there is no reason in the world that we shouldn't be 3-0 and right now. The Cleveland Browns should be undefeated in sole possession of first place. The defense played so damn good. It was one play. They gave that 71-yard slant to Kenny Pickett and George Pickens. And outside of that, Pittsburgh didn't do anything. And the offense was abysmal. Four turnovers, the strip sack, the pick six. Like, it was bad. And they were in the game to the very end. And if the defense could play 80%, 70% of that level, it doesn't really matter how the offense performs because they're going to have a chance to win. <laughs> like, that's the scary part of how good this Browns defense can be. But before I jump in on Browns to the Super Bowl train, I do need one more positive offensive performance from Deshaun Watson from the running game. I need to see Elijah Moore get a little more involved. David and Joku help a brother out, man. I've been I bought all your stock. I don't want to sell it. I'm still sitting on it, but I need you to come through for me. Uh, so I, I still need one more game and hopefully it's Baltimore because if they beat up on Baltimore, we have two weeks to prepare for the game of the season. That's uh, San Francisco Cleveland game week six in Cleveland Brown stadium is going to be the game of the early slate of the season. And we have two weeks on a win to lead up to that. Man, I'll see. I don't yeah, like how sure. you're talking. I don't, I don't like how you're talking because I, I was doing that. I, I was doing that uh, week one. I ain't even worried about next week. I just want to stay right here because I got worried about next week when we was trying to play Tennessee looking ahead to the Titans. So I, I got to stay right, right here in a moment. I mean – it's, it's going to be one of them games, right? This this is a divisional opponent. This is a well-coached team, a team that got a pretty good defense, a team that has a franchise quarterback who's a former MVP. And so, like, this is 
uh, honestly, it's a significant test for the Browns defense. It'd be interesting to see, you know, how they respond to a player like Lamar Jackson, who's the best running quarterback in the NFL, uber athletic, and a guy that knows how to make plays. Yeah, his numbers is not eye-popping, but the dude is completing 73% of his passes right now. And, you know, that can't go unnoticed. So we'll see how we do. As far as the Browns' offense go, it's a work in progress, right? And I guess I'm a little bit more relaxed less anxious after just that Mary Kay Cabot uh, interview. Like this is still relatively brand new. And again, you know, we put so much emphasis and so much stock on, well, the six games last year, the install of a offense that Deshaun Watson quote unquote has the keys to, and then expecting it to be able to execute at its fullest level right out the gate. And maybe we had unrealistic expectations. Like, this is still like they are pros and this is still like, you know, other guys getting paid, et cetera. Like it's a work in progress. This is not something that's just, you know, you, you whip it up, you throw it in the microwave and then it's ready to go. This is something that's in that, that, and that slow cooker cooking on a Sunday while you in church with your grandmother all day and it ain't ready to eat till about seven o'clock at night. This is, it sounds like it's one of those situations and they, they trying to build this thing for the long haul. So, I mean, Mike, they can duplicate the performance next week. They can lay an egg two weeks in a row. Like, it's going to be a work in progress, you know, throughout throughout the season. But what I do believe is, is Ford really has gotten his confidence back and, and you know, can play to that level. Then as we continue to work throughout the kinks of this offense, like you said, the defense is going to always give us enough to win. And if that's as good as it gets last week, then we in there like swimwear, and we all know it's going to get better than that. I'll tell you this. If, if we're going to use your slow cooker analogy, Earl, then the Browns defense right now is the pastor who goes on way too long, and you keep checking your watch like, he's still talking, he's still, but guess what? It's all right because the Browns defense is going to be there to hold you down until the offense finds its footing. The reality of the offense is <laughs> Deshaun Watson was unbelievable on Sunday. I went back. I've watched the All-22 now. He didn't miss. Like, he was so quick and decisive with his decisions. And the ball was placed 80 – his completion percentage over perspective, overexpected, excuse me, was 82%, the highest of any quarterback in the league this season. He didn't really miss. And even the throws that were slightly off target, like maybe a little behind somebody or a little high, little low, they were all catchable passes. There was nothing that was just a straight misfire mm-hmm. for the most part. He had one or two, but that every quarterback has, has one or two. Nothing to be – uh, concerned about. He just looked like a different player. And I'm curious to see now if we see that version again, if we see any, an improved version, does he take his... Like, to me, that's the most fascinating storyline of this game. What happens to Deshaun Watson? Because I could see him getting even better. I mean, he threw 289, two touchdowns, should have been a little more with the Cooper play, regardless. But he's had games where he's done for 400 yards and four touchdowns. So that was not the best that Sean Watson can play. Is he going to take a step back? And frankly, I lean towards him playing better because I was waiting for that one game to build upon. I don't know, though. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I don't know, and I don't think anyone knows, including Deshaun and Kevin Stefanski, but the fact that Deshaun came up there today, and Earl, I know you listened to the press conference, that man sounds cool, calm, and collected. Yeah, he do. And he seems under control and sounds under control and at peace with what Kevin Stefanski is asking him to do within this offense. And 
We won't know till Sunday. I'm not looking at any more silly dimes he throws in practice. I'm not looking at any more Elijah Moore highlights because we haven't seen that in three games yet. Like you could put anything you want on Twitter, Browns. I need to see it on Sundays. He sounds like a guy that is confident he's headed in the right direction. And that's what I have to go off because the last thing I saw from him was stellar. He sounds confident. Why am I, why am I to believe that won't continue on Sunday? Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I mean, his body language, his tone of voice, the way he answered the questions. Shout out to him, by the way, for wearing that East Cleveland Chiefs Muni uh, League football hoodie. Man, that was dope. Way to represent. But, I mean, to me, Deshaun Watson playing better because you alluded to we've seen him throw for 400 yards. We've seen him throw for four touchdowns in the game. We've seen all that before. Him playing better, and granted, he played, I thought, damn good last week. Phenomenal. It's not measured in, in the stats to me. It's it's about, okay, looking at those seven throws or those six to seven throws that, that weren't that great, you know what I mean, or the decisions that, you know, he could have been better on. Those are the things that if I was him, I'm looking at this week in the film room and say, okay, how can I get better in these areas? Because he did the things that you that you want your quarterback to do. Like he he, he carried the offense to three scoring touchdown drives, and he didn't turn the football over. He put his team in a situation to have success and to put points on the board. And that's what you want him to do. And as long as he continues to do that, you know, I really personally don't care how the numbers look as long as he's not turning the football over. If Deshaun Watson don't have a 300-yard passing game, a 350-passing-yard game, or, or a game where he he throws for three or four touchdowns this year, but he don't turn the ball over and the Browns are winning, then Deshaun Watson is doing exactly what he needs to be doing. Deshaun Watson and that light to me is proven, okay, he's getting better week in and week out. His his success and his growth for me will not be measured in the stat department. That's just for me, though. And what have you seen from Watson? Oops, sorry, I had to unmute my mic there. I don't know. Um, I'm going to be on after that Pittsburgh game. I'm kind of chalking it up to I genuinely do think the shock of losing Chubb in the middle of that game impacted that team a lot more than any of us kind of credited it to because when they came out against Tennessee, I, they, they looked like they had finally recovered and he looked confident. Like you said, his time, everything that we said was off when we were looking at the uh, all 22 from Pittsburgh, his timing, his reads, it seemed to all be clicking. I think he finally settled in. And I mean, we do have to see it for, I think at least one to two more games, especially against two of the best defenses in the league. If we're really talking super bowl level, offense um but i i'm excited i i'm not bought in on him yet as a whole but i'm excited i think he's gonna turn the corner and i think he is in the right direction the fact that we're having conversations about him heading in the right direction is a positive after the first two games and the conversations that followed both cincinnati and pittsburgh on a non-quarterback related note here earl stopping lamar jackson is of the utmost importance anytime mm-hmm. you play the Ravens, but they have a couple receivers who have kind of given Baltimore a new dynamic offensively. Todd Munkin's the new offensive coordinator. Greg Roman's no longer there. Zay Flowers has been their number one option through three games. The rookie first rounder out of Boston College. <sighs> You're not worried? Oh, man. Happy birthday to my dog, MJ Emerson, man. I don't give a damn about no Baltimore Ravens wide receivers. Is you serious? We got Denzel Ward. 
We got MJ Emerson, man. So what if Brent Newsom don't play? Rest up, my G. Get better, man. Cam Milton, he held it down last week. Even I mean, I know he had the one play pass where the interception bounced off his hands and, and the receiver caught it for a long game, man. But man, don't come talking to me about no Baltimore Ravens wide receivers. And you see our DBs? You see uh, what uh, we hold do? On, hold on, hold on. You just got mad at me for not letting you get too confident because you said the last time I got too confident, Pittsburgh happened. So I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to ask you again. Is there even the slightest – because this is on my list. Are you even slightly worried about the Ravens receivers knowing how well the Browns secondary is played? <laughs> no. That no. Is, neither am I. And so we, had, we had the conversation for Pittsburgh. What, know, man. Pittsburgh. what was I most scared about about Pittsburgh? Uh, Mike Thomas. I wasn't worried. Yeah, that's, that's what scares me. I'm not worried. I don't think listen, these receivers can do anything against these DBs. Bro, they I'm don't. so caught, con- man. Listen, I'm so confident in my boy, man. Listen, like Mike Evans last year was one thing. He earned DeAndre Hopkins respect on Sunday, right? That's one of the greatest wide receivers we've seen in the last 10 years. Like I told y'all before the season started, like dude is him for yeah. real. Denzel Ward looks to be back to his, his pro bowl form. He looks like to be becoming like, being back to being that dude for real. Like, you know, Greg Newsom has played the, the nickel corner position better than most throughout three games this season. You see these young DBs out there, man, making moves and making plays. And, like, you know, I'm laughing and I ain't trying to be disrespectful to the Baltimore Ravens at all, man. But that that's the – I'm that confident in our DBs. And I just don't – they're good wide receivers and they can make some plays. But, yeah, I'm I'm confident in our group, man. I'm just confident. I'm that confident in that particular position group. And do you share the same charisma <laughs> as Earl of Pearl does about the Browns defensive backs versus the Ravens wide receivers? Honestly, yeah. I mean, like, I know, I know I can't name a lot of the players in the NFL, but when it comes to the receiving core of the Ravens, I don't think I know a single name. OBJ. And, oh, yeah. I kind of forgot he was there. He is he playing play. or is he hurt? Yeah, I was going to say. I, he I got him. They got Aguilar. They got Zay Flowers. Man, we know when Mark brings to the table. They got Rashad Bateman. They got a solid young core with a lot of potential, man, that's led by their tight end, Mark Andrews. They got some dudes that can catch the football and some dudes that can make some plays. And they got a quarterback that can make some plays. I ain't taking that away from them, man. But I didn't see, I didn't see a, a corner who I believe – me and Jason have seemed like to be the two people that's like, okay – MJ might be like like really really different, and every time he gets the opportunity to go up against somebody that's respected in the NFL, he holds his own. You know, we know what Denzel Ward is. Greg Newsom was a high draft pick who's bought out more often than he's not throughout his career. You know, so I'm looking at those three players in particular, and I'm like, okay, you know, I trust them dudes. Cam Mitchell got an opportunity to play an extended amount of time last week, and he did not disappoint. No. We ain't had Cam Mitchell in our rundown. We ain't had to make no canvas. We ain't had to throw no poll questions up. And this dude was a six-round draft pick. That, that's another testament to where this system is, is different. It's, you, it's unique. You know, you got a guy like that stepping out there, and he's showing you right away, like, in this system, I can go out here and make some plays. And Do you I, know I just really don't... helps, Earl, you know what really helps a guy like Cam Mitchell and all these DBs especially? Yeah. The fact that they're covering for a second and a half before a Ryan and a Tannehill's half. bailing. Remember, it we is, heard Juan Horth, uh, Juan Thornhill talk about like yeah. they don't get all the way in their sets that, that the defense is handling the defensive line is handling their business that that quick. So, 
Yeah, and I think that that's what worries me about the Ravens a little bit is containing Lamar when he does roll out. That that's where I'm concerned. But our our defensive line is so good. I would assume that would fall onto the responsibility of the linebackers to clean that up. Linebackers, Tad. We're going to talk on the TV show Friday who we think is best suited to spy Lamar Jackson. I don't want to give that away. But I I will say, for a scrambler like Lamar, he wants to roll right as much as he can. Like, if he's going to scramble, he's going to go right. What kills you as a defense is if you have pass rushers who get pressure, come around the edge, and there's a lane for him to step up and run. And that's where guys like Tomlinson, guys like Hurst, guys like Shelby Harris – are of the utmost importance against a team like Baltimore because those guys have to have sound discipline, rush their lane, do not allow Lamar Jackson to squeeze through these little holes. you got to bring him down if he's trying to get through uh, a little crease in the line. But I don't see how any team in the league, as currently constructed, will stop Miles Garrett and Jadari Smith from getting pressure on the outside. It comes up when Lamar Jackson steps up in the pocket. Can they bring him down? And we're going to find out. This is the first real test against a mobile quarterback. The only time Lamar has ever played a Jim Schwartz defense, he ran for 108 yards. It's not a big <laughs> enough sample size. It's, not, it's the only data point we have. It's not a big enough sample size. I'm not saying it's a trend, but it's the only game we have to go off of. What was that, 2020 or 2019? 2020. It was October 18th, 2020. The Ravens beat the Eagles 30-28. to Lamar threw for a buck 87 and a touchdown, ran for 108 and a touchdown. Bad job out of all three of us, and, and especially bad job out of you, Mike. And at you, you, you'll back me up on this, right? Mike, you, you, I expect better out of you. You know what we should have did that we're going to do? What? He ran for 108 against that Jim Schwartz defense. I'm curious to know what his rushing yard totals was against other teams. That year? That year. I can tell you right now. Hold on. I'm, I'm curious to know what it was. Yeah, Mr. Numbers, I'm surprised we didn't actually think of that angle. I, I mean. <laughs> like, y'all ain't think of it either. So. I, I, hold you're on. You're not so wrong. In 2020, his rushing yards per game. Do you think 108 was the most he had all season? No. That mm. is correct. The most he had was 124. Do you know who it came against? Probably the Browns. The Browns. He yeah. scored two touchdowns that game. He scored uh, two touchdowns season. on the Browns. What did he say? He scored two rushing touchdowns that game. Against the Browns, threw for one. So that <sighs> season, he had he had games of 124 rushing yards against Cleveland, 108 against Philadelphia in the Jim Schwartz defense, 97 against Cincinnati, 94 against Balt, uh, against Dallas, 83 against Kansas City, 80 against the Giants, 65 against Pittsburgh, 58 against Indy. 55 against the Patriots, 54, 54, 51, 45, 35. And against Cincinnati, the second time they played, he only had three rushing yards. Mm. So on the season, he averaged per game that averages out to – he had 1,000 rushing yards that season. <laughs> he averaged <laughs> 71 yards, 71 rushing yards per game that season. That's wild. Yeah. Damn. And that was COVID year? Is that what you said, 2020? He missed a game for COVID. I, I guess that was COVID. Yeah, 2020 was a COVID season. Yeah, I thought this up real quick. I, I, I kind of like want to talk about this real quick, right? Shoot. So when you go back to that particular draft, right, and that draft class, and I remember saying at that time, you know, when the Browns drafted Jock, in my opinion, he was drafted specifically for Lamar Jackson. 
this was the dude that the Browns was bringing in to handle that dude, right? And, you know, he's played 10 times better, you know, in year three of his career under Jim Schwartz than we've seen the first two seasons of his career. And it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, him in particular. Like, to me, that's like one of the key players in this game. Yeah. I want to see how how he in particular matches up against Lamar Jackson. And if he, if, if he can finally put on that performance against this particular player that Andrew Berry envisioned, when he said, okay, this is why I need this particular player on this particular team in this particular division. Like he was drafted, in my opinion, particularly in, particularly for Lamar Jackson. He had, I mean, he tested through the roof athletically. He has the requisite skill set and athleticism to chase a Lamar Jackson. We're going to find out how good his eyes are and his reactions are because nobody, and Lamar's highlight tape, might be my favorite football highlight tape of all time. The dude makes people miss in ways I can't remember anyone ever doing before. So uh, we're going to see. He's definitely going to have a chance to guard and spy Lamar. I think Delpit's going to get a couple shots. Walker might. Not sure Walker's fast enough if Lamar gets a, a step. McLeod maybe, but we're going to see. We're going to see. Uh, it's time real quick for some behind-the-scenes questions. I know we have one from this morning. If you have... A question about anything behind the scenes of UCSS. Drop in the chat right now. Anthony will get to that. We have a story and at least one question, then we'll wrap up. If we have more, we will answer them as well. Uh, Earl, you can start with this one. It comes from Brady McBride. Obviously, the show is 11-1, but I'm curious what's your what your full workday looks like. Start time, what time do you get off? What do you guys do before, after, and how do you plan slash think of ideas? So if you want to start... We will uh, we'll go around and Anthony Evan four one nine says he added one to the community tab. So go on and take a look, find that. Um, dope too. I mean, if everything goes well and I'm able to get here on time, workday starts at eight o'clock sharp. We get in. Uh, first thing I do, Mike asks for a show Canva so he can set the YouTube stream. I typically get that together. If I don't, and get that together. Uh, I go through my rundown. I see what particular graphics that I have to make for that day. I get on my computer. I try to gather all my information, all my pictures before I get to work. I knock that stuff out, communicate with the guys about, okay, what's going where, this, that, and the third. Uh, Then I get my canvas from Mike as far as the topics we're going to talk about. In case you all don't know, we all have different roles here. If you go to the YouTube page and you see the individual clips of our different segments, that's what I do. I do the different segments. I put all the thumbnails together. I try to create something that as soon as you look at the visual that you want to click on and you want to watch. Uh, so I make the canvas for that particular thing. Um, I ask about, we have a group discussion about what pictures or what questions is going up on a community tab on our YouTube page for that day. I typically get that together. Um, we usually communicate again and make sure that everything that we need for that particular show is in a proper folder that we've t- crossed all our T's, that all our I's before we even head downstairs. Um, we get done in enough time. We usually look ahead to make sure that we got everything we need prepared for that next show. If not, uh, we get started on that to try to cut us some time in the back. Ant, you want to go? Yeah, no. Um, I mean, I come in usually around 8, 8, 10, depending on traffic from Parma. Uh, and then as you guys know, I do most of like the big graphics. So like, uh, my primary role is like headlines, fence riders. I do true and false, 
Uh, I do season stat graphics uh, for game days, but that's really the only time I mess around with any stat graphics. Uh, and then all of those still montages you guys see that I'm editing and cutting those together as well. So that's mostly my morning. Uh, I think like Monday is usually a little stressful. Friday is usually a little stressful because headlines tend to take the longest out of all of that. And then after the show or during the show, I'm running tag board. I'm reading your guys' chats and keeping track of super chats. After the show, it's my responsibility to get our podcasts up, track all of our ads, make sure that everything is set on YouTube. Like I add the end screens on to the uh, full day show. And then um, I usually just get started on the next day stuff. And I also cover all of our promo graphics. So if we have anything special, like Cavs Media Day Monday, don't forget about that from two to four, yep. I'll make the graphic to promo that. Ant's the only one out of the three of us that has any Photoshop skills whatsoever for the record. <laughs> like, yeah, like anything that's like, Anything that's no. not put the picture in and resize it gets yeah, he sent to my it. desk. Anything that's sophisticated or complex, man, like, and takes care of all of that. And when I tell you, like, you know, me and Mike really, like, we get that dude his kudos. Like, the stuff that he's able to put together and turn around in the time frame that he turns around is kind of crazy. Because I know we, I can't do that. That ain't my we, expertise. What it, Ant's best qualities is I have ideas for graphics, but I don't know how to make them. So I draw them on... Uh, index card and giving them to Anthony, and usually it makes no sense at all. And you should start taking pictures of those and tweeting them out. I should. I should. I and usually people see what what in my head I think what it looks like on an index card and how you get it to uh, to production. I actually think it'd be a, a fun thing to tweet out. Yeah, no, I I should keep them honestly. But what you guys don't know is you see Earl's little bean desk that he has. Mine's actually the smallest desk in the office. So Cap. anything, ex- nah, Cap. nah, Cap. it's actually the smallest desk in the office. Cap. So anything that I don't need on my desk gets either tossed or put on like the windowsill behind me. You lying to these people. I got the smallest desk oh, in the entire Channel Three building. I don't know. Listen, about that. my desk is is like insanely little. Like two, I can't fit my computer, a cup of coffee, and my phones on the desk at the same time, man. No joke, <laughs> no joke. I I gotta move everything off my desk just to set up for this podcast. That's how little my desk is. Uh, yeah. To answer the first question, we move on. I get in a little early. I usually get in about seven thirty. I set the streams, make sure everything's good. Um, as far as what we do for, oh, breaking news, real quick. My boy that works for the Blazers, mm-hmm. he just goes dot, dot, dot. We ain't done yet with an eye emoji. We'll see what that means. I'm sure that means they're trading Drew Holiday Ooh. somewhere. But uh, My desk smaller than that, Creative Juice. <laughs> yeah, actually, no. Like Our um, desks would be bigger if we had that. <laughs> how we cope with content, you know, that's actually a good question. A lot of times it's us just talking before or after the show about certain topics, you know, discussions we have about the game that like ah, what if we phrase it that way would it make a good discussion uh i come up with a lot of the like primary things and usually i use earl as a sounding board and then earl kind of refines it and then we come up with something to put on the show but that is kind of how the ideas come to fruition anthony and earl myself we make the graphics mondays are by far the craziest days um there's a lot of graphics to make on mondays after that it is uh you know Stats don't change in football from Monday to Tuesday, which is very nice. So not a ton of graphics, but yeah, it's usually a seven. We have a two thirty meeting every day, so seven thirty to three, seven thirty to four, give or take, depending on what's going on. Uh, but that is usually the daily routine. Next question is from Evan four hundred nine. What's the most stressful part of each 
morning. Uh, that's easy, at least for me, dealing with Bull JG and making sure they had their answers into what we need. Oh my god! The day before, like I. Hey, shout out to them. They got all their fence rider. They did. We got today was maybe the best they've ever done. But uh, trying to get answers from those guys is not easy. I feel like part of my job is babysitting. I'm a a paid adult babysitter to make sure (laughs) Bull J and G, Jason and Tavis are in the right spots at the right places. Uh, But in terms of like day to day stuff, uh, I'm kind of the middleman between like the corporate level stuff and then the stuff that we do here and making sure the message from our bosses, bosses get to the talent. Uh, that's not my favorite stuff. I'll just be honest. Like that's not my favorite part of the job. So that gets stressful sometimes, but someone has to deliver the messages and that is, uh, that's usually me. What stresses you guys out the most? Or I'll let you go. I mean, for me, not every day is stressful. I think it really depends on my personal mood or, you know, I, I will say that, we build a rundown, you know, Mike has a lot of the primary ideas. He's right. He's, he kind of used me for a second side of eyes and then we refine it, you know, and just be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Look, <laughs> you know, like, I, I love it. never lied that I am like the yeah. genius of content when it comes to the yeah, sports he, he, he's so just whatever, like, whatever you guys tell me to make, I'll make, but like you guys can yeah. come up with it. And so like, once we finalize that and then we send it out to the group, the one thing that kind of like pisses me off is, you know, they'll go through it. All right, cool. This looks good. And, you know, we start building what we need to build for the next day or the day of to make sure that the content is quality. And it takes a lot of energy and effort. And then one of these guys, either right before the show or during the show, like just totally like alter everything that they agreed (laughs) with the night before. And it's like, I know y'all didn't just do that. I just spent 20 minutes looking up this just to build this one thing. We're going to talk about this. (laughs) We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about it right now. Like. I actually, oh. I haven't sent the rundown out for tomorrow yet. I have it on my, I made it. I just didn't send it. And they'll all like it. And I always say, if you got any issues, like, tell me now. They all like it. And then yeah. in the morning, eh, it's actually not what we want. Gonna, and, and that does, oh, you're right. That, that's, that's a good one. Um, yeah. I'm that's a good one. All right. Next up from Creative Juice, guess the crew's morning drink of choice. What's funny is I think he got all three right, but not for the right people. So I don't know what Big a, Red is. I'm I'm going just a, like a big Red Bull, not big. Oh, red. okay. So he guessed a Red Bull or Monster for me. He said Water for Earl, and he said a floofy Starbucks <laughs> coffee that costs nine dollars for Ant. Uh, Ant, I all like three drinks wrong Bull. people though. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Dunkin' coffee guy because it's only three dollars for my large iced coffee. Thank you very much. But uh, yeah, no, I I usually have a coffee and then maybe like a Gatorade or a water. That's usually what I come in with. I come in with coffee every day. Like oh, I've, I've started, I've, I've started to uh, definitely like drink more water throughout the day. But I start my day with coffee. Sometimes I need two cups. My thing is, so like, I probably shouldn't say this publicly because my grandmother probably watching this. But I work a lot. Like I'm Sunday through Sunday. Yeah. With two jobs, right? And I'm always on the go. Like I pride myself in, in, in working hard, but I don't really eat much. I don't really feed myself. So I fuel myself with like coffee, water, and snacks. That's how I get Paul through. Is any- always snacking. Yeah, always from this sure. I, I work anywhere from eight to 16 hours a day, and that's no joke. And so I got to keep my coffee. I got to keep some water. I got to keep some snacks because like eating a meal, that's probably like every two days, something like that. So 
Coffee's disgusting. It's vile. It tastes like cat piss. I don't know how you guys drink it every day. I drink uh, water and that's French it. vanilla flavoring. That's point the in case. Part. That's the floofy part of the coffee that he's talking about. I like I like water. That that's my go. I don't need coffee. I don't need green. Yep, Lawrence is so the hell he is. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> he said metabolism up there. Yeah. He well, said Earl like Uncle Mar hey, Uncle Marvin and Raising Canaan. That's my favorite character in that show, too. <laughs> All right, we got uh uh Corey. Your question is actually a fence rider, so I'm not gonna ask your question. We'll answer that tomorrow on the show. Oh, that I'll answer it real quick because I'm not question. I don't do fence riders. Uh I think it's gonna be the Browns offense. That's where mine will be. Beautiful. And then lastly comes from uh Lawrence. He said we low-key need a UCSS day in the life vlog. We could probably do that one day. That'd be right? fun. That, I think that'd be doable. an interesting thing. Um, we, we'd have to tell them we're doing it, but yeah, no, I think that'd be a good time. You know, I think I think it'd be for us. I mean, like they can see the show; they want the behind the scenes stuff. So I think oh, we that's would true. Just roll. I think I think that's possible. I think that's, hey, maybe we can set that up in a coming week. So last week when we got finished with behind the glass, I went to get something to eat. I went to uh, Wayne Stop, and one of the dudes in Wayne Stop, he looked at me. He just kept staring at me. He said, "You know, you Earl of Pearl. I just got finished watching you." He like, man, you really be in the hood. You 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 really be local. And I said, man, I'll never get on here and lie to y'all and just just try to make it sound good. I, I'm really, I'm accessible as hell. I'm like, I'm really accessible. Like I'm I'm just I'm just me. So yeah, I think that would be cool. I wonder what a day in the life of McNuggets would look like. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. You want like an after work day in the life, or you just want? Wow. And this dude go to the gym four times a day. He drink protein shakes. He eat protein chips that cost forty dollars a bag. Damn. He might chill with his lady, get some sleep, or get some tickets courtside to a game somewhere. And that sound about right. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest too. My like my post work like vlog would be so boring unless it's like a Wednesday night when we do this because like I get home, I'll I'll work out or I'll take a nap. And then I'm just I'm just playing video games or watching movies. The, the funny thing is, I don't go out anywhere. I don't do anything. And it's the youngest out of all of us, and he's the most chill out of all of us. Like, and had to take off the day after his birthday, and me and McNuggets talked about. He went to a concert. <laughs> all right, wait, hold on. To be fair, I took. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I took the day off though because my girlfriend got two days off so she could come up to see me. That's why. I took oh, we see. We thought because like you couldn't handle a night of drinking. And oh no, I didn't even day. drink. The, not when drinks are twenty one dollars for a single pour. Man, this man, eat, listen. I'm telling y'all, I'm not exaggerating. McNuggets eat chips every day, but they protein chips. This These is chips good. is like forty dollars a bag. I'm Stop. not exaggerating. Listen, on Amazon, no, they're like not twenty a bag. I checked because I wanted some. Twenty five bucks on Amazon. It ain't it ain't crazy. <laughs> it ain't crazy. Don't let them lie to y'all. Yeah, chips no, cost, I mean boy. they're they're they pretty crazy. That's delicious. Car insurance, no, it's like, <laughs> like I think Tyvis and I might be two because Tyvis is twenty nine and I'm twenty six, so I think we're the two youngest yeah. out of everybody. And I mean, granted, Tyvis and I are two different very points. Like he's got two kids and a wife, but I we don't do anything. He's like he's always saying, "I don't go out." Yeah, neither do I. Like I'll go out to a show here and there, and that'll be about all I do. Like, man, I work hard. If I can, if I can party hard and go hard when I can, I will. I, I, I ain't even gonna weird. lie to you. I got. <laughs> I say a couple weeks ago, I was down, out down in the flats. And uh, someone came up to me at like 1 30 in the morning and was like, Yo, McNuggets. And I just gotta be very careful with what I say at those moments. Oh, no. Just gotta I've be careful seen, with what I say at those moments. I have seen Mike 
in the flats drinking. He came out one time, one night with me. I have a good time, yo. This is. Hey, we humans too, though. Yeah. No, it was a fantastic time. We had. Now listen, we humans. We young. Like the one thing about like being a sports personality is like you want to be personable, right? You you want to let people know, like I'm just like you. Like I I I ain't no different than you. I am careful what I say and what I do. But if you see me out here having a few drinks turned up, man, just know like I'm just like you. I don't work my ass off. Now I want to let my hair down, just like you. Yeah, the place yeah. is no different. We'll places. wrap up with this. But King Go B, I do think I'm heading back to the meeting lot this week. I'm uh, amazing. I'm not sure if Bull's coming. I think Bull is gonna wait till the 49ers game till he gets his uh, custom made Bull jersey in. So I'm sorry, I can't go, man. Yeah, I, I am a strong maybe. There's no forty dollar chips. That is, yeah, they $40. That is they, they, they it's a twelve $40. pack for twenty four dollars on Amazon. They uh, they're delicious. Wanna know how they you want y'all wanna know how like we know for a fact they expensive? He ain't never offered us a chip when he cracked those chips open and started eating them. He ain't never that not once say, Hey, y'all want a chip? You know why? Because them chips cost my boy. <laughs> they cost. He offered me at one time to try, and then he goes, "Warning: If you like them, they are expensive." <laughs> what is this? It's, it's not ninety nine cents a bag. What, it's Quest. Listen, Quest chips. Listen, yeah, none Quest of us have the money if we're working in local TV to be uh, buying forty dollar bags of chips. Trust me. If if we wanted money, we would do something besides this. We do this because we love this, and uh, we get paid to hang out and talk sports. Like I have the best. I think I think I have the best job in the world. I would not trade it for anything, but trust me, if I was in this to make money, it would not be doing this. Trust me. Oh, yeah. It would not. So man, listen, I work, I've been blessed, bro. I work for the city of Cleveland as a supervisor for eight or nine years. And at the time that I actually quit my job to pursue this dream, I was working for the county. And real quick, not to even get super serious on people, but I tell you people all the time, man, you got a dream and you got something that you really want to do in your life. Go pursue it. At least give yourself an opportunity to fail. You'll feel much better about yourself for trying and failing versus getting up every day and working a job that you can't stand, even if it's a good job. We all got to make money. We all got to go to work. And it's easier to do that no matter where you at when you're in a good mood. But let life happen, right? Let you just not be in the mood. And imagine getting up and got to go to a job that you can't stand when you're in the mood. When you're not in the mood, right? Like, but uh, put yourself in my shoes, right? Needs to know. You know, I've been going through some stuff, but I still wake up every day and I come to work with the same energy. Like, I can at least mask it for those eight hours, right? It's something about getting the opportunity to do what you love. Like Mike said, I wouldn't trade this for the world. Like, I absolutely get paid to talk to y'all, to watch games, to talk about sports. Like, man, you can't beat that. You can't beat that. I wouldn't trade this for much of anything. I've told this story before. I'll tell it again real, real quick, and we'll wrap. But when I was in Texas, I would drive past a Dairy Queen sign every day that said, now hiring for more money than I was getting paid to be on TV in Texas. Like, that's just plain and simple. If you want want money, this is not uh, not the industry to start. You can make money in the long term, but it's certainly not the uh, the fastest way. But we do it because we love it. We have a blast. Earl and Anthony are my dudes. We have fun doing this every week. We appreciate everyone who tuned in tonight. Two Behind the Glass, we are back tomorrow on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. We have Aditi. We have Jeff Z. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, but he is the beat writer for the Baltimore Ravens, works for the Athletic. He is uh, one of the best beat writers around, and we'll get a little bit of the Baltimore side. Plus, no fence riders. And what do you think the offense looks like without Nick Chubb after one game? 
We'll see y'all tomorrow. Peace. See you guys. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.